Hello, everyone. Welcome back again to the Extra Point Podcast. My name is Todd Stiles. I'm one of the pastors here at First Family Church, and the Extra Point Podcast is our opportunity to revisit the text and or topic from the previous Sunday and bring some additional insight, further uh, observations, maybe deeper application. And man, have you been waiting for this episode for Tuesday, August 30th, right? If you were there last Sunday, you know I teased you appropriately with a little bit about this episode and how I was going to delve into some cultural aspects. Well, that's what's ahead. So thank you so much for joining us for this episode of the Extra Point Podcast. As I mentioned Sunday, I don't normally bring a lot of cultural uh, hot buttons into my Sunday preaching. I typically save those for a written platform, perhaps a a first-person session on a Sunday afternoon, maybe uh, this podcast here or some other platform I might bring some of that in. Don't always do it on a Sunday preaching opportunity as we preach through books of the Bible. Uh, But I mentioned Sunday, I did want to take a moment and talk about the aspect or the topic of persecution and how it is likely to increase in our culture um, and how we are to help prepare and equip our children and grandchildren for what's ahead. So I want to take some time in this podcast to do exactly that and to kind of address some cultural hot buttons, maybe um, pull back the curtain on some things and explain why they are the way they are and and give us some aid in in dealing with uh, what isn't very common for us today, but what could be very common for future generations. Now, when I say what's not very common for us, uh, let me repeat what I said Sunday, and I think you would nod in agreement on this, and that is that very few people, and I'll speak here mainly of the Midwest region of North America in which I live, and especially our state, and then of course our simple church there in Ankeny, Iowa, just very few people really deal with persecution and suffering for righteousness' sake. There are pockets, and I think there are certain people who may serve as anomalies to this. They have experienced, for whatever reason, uh, some persecution and perhaps intense persecution, suffering because they're a Christian. But I think you would agree, and I think you did Sunday, you would agree that most of us don't experience um, much persecution, the kind that Peter talks about in his first letter. This idea of being mistreated because we're a Christian or suffering unjustly, or, or having things so out of our control that we can't change them, and it's, it's happening because we are a follower of Jesus. Most of us don't have um, that experience, uh, maybe a few moments here and there, but it's not common. Um, and, and in fact, I made this statement, and I'll stand by it. It just simply doesn't cost us much to be a Christian in North America, at least not yet. And this is where I think the heads begin to turn and the ears, of course, begin to perk up. And this is where I promised you I would share a little more about why I think what's ahead won't be as easy as what is unless something changes. Now, remember, let's just understand the the framework and the landscape of what we're talking about. Persecution is considered normal to Christianity uh, when you look at the the his, historical nature of it, Peter even said in this chapter, in this paragraph they're in, that we should not consider it a strange thing when we enc- encounter a fiery trial. Um, 
persecution was as soon as Acts chapter 8, which is just uh, very quickly after the birth of the church. The first 300 years of history records at least, you know, eight, nine, ten regimes of persecuting emperors. We know that in other parts of the world, um, for centuries, there have been uh, um, increased um, moments of great persecution to believers in places of China decades ago, currently in parts of Africa, in areas of India, in the Middle East, and, and other parts of the world, more so than within our own borders of North America here, especially America specifically, there has been, um, at times, much persecution. But to, to um, speak to us here in Midwest America, it just doesn't cost much. We don't have a lot of experience in this thing called persecution, this thing that Peter references, that he says when it happens, when you're insulted for the name of Christ, consider yourself blessed. We just don't have a great framework for that, and yet we know that if things continue like they are, it will undoubtedly worsen. And what I said to you was, uh, there is an inevitable collision on the horizon. Some folks have written about it from the words um, that there's a gathering storm. Um, and these are all uh, ways to describe what's ahead, maybe not for our specific generation, and maybe not even for the next one. We'll see. But if something doesn't change, and by that I would say two things mainly, either the return of Christ to consummate His kingdom, or a, a deep and lasting revival among God's people in the culture, maybe a, a third awakening or fourth awakening, something has to change. And unless it does, along one of those two lines probably, then we are facing an inevitable collision in the culture in which God's people will experience greater intensity uh, of persecution within the borders of America. Now, here's why I maintain that. And again, this is a little bit repetitive from Sunday, but I, I want to make sure that this is clear for the uh, advantage of those who perhaps weren't there Sunday or just to make sure that I'm refreshing the memory of those who were there. Here's why I believe if something doesn't change, this is the inevitable course. It's because when you have in a culture a segment that holds to an absolute authority outside of itself, uh, living among and engaging another segment that holds to an authority that is itself, you have an inevitable collision forthcoming. Uh, in fact, this is um, what occurred in those Roman-occupied areas of Palestine and in uh, the Jews' day when Rome was the world empire, Caesar was to be worshipped. And when they didn't, there was a price to pay. See, that was a segment of the population that followed and gave allegiance to a, an authority outside of themselves, God, living with and engaging a segment of the culture or population that felt they were the absolute authority. And when that occurs, you will inevitably have a collision. 
Can we just now for a moment state the obvious that you see this happening in small ways already? Now, you may think they're large ways, all right? But in reality, we've seen this for a number of decades already, and, and I think they're small in comparison to what they could be, let's say, give us another 50 years. But let's just be very frank and, and, and admit we see this happening, first of all, even among, um, um, like even in the gender uh, can we use the word battle, the gender issues? There's an absolute authority, God and His Word, and God has established male and female. That's who He created. And yet, the culture now, who sees themselves as the authority, is establishing a, a gender spectrum, a fluidity that you can be uh, something along the lines. I think that right now there are like 50-some-odd genders you could be. They're, of course, creating different types of words and pronouns. Um, none of this, of course, has any biological or scientific reality to it. But it's the culture asserting that these things are now true and is coming in conflict with what is actually true. Someone's perceived self-authority is clashing against the absolute authority outside of ourselves, and what's happening is a collision in the issues of gender. You see this in the issue of marriage. Uh, there has been now for a number of years um, the idea that men can marry men, women can marry women, when in reality the absolute authority outside of ourselves have, has established that isn't actually possible. That marriage from the very beginning of civilization, from the very beginning of creation, was between a man and a woman, period. And it's for life. But if you don't accept the absolute authority of God and see yourself as the authority, then you begin to make up your own rules. And, and you create all kind of perverse ways in which marriage can occur when it actually can't. We could discuss a, a number of issues on the LGBTQIA plus um, um, battlefield, we'll call it, and how so much of that is simply um, the self-perceived authority of a segment of our culture establishing its own sexual boundaries and sexual fences, and that is coming into conflict, of course, with God's established uh, boundaries and guidelines and commandments, uh, we could see the same thing occurring, of course, um, uh, with things like the right to life, um, the abortion issue, even the euthanasia issue. There, there are so many areas in which when, when there's a segment of the culture who holds to an absolute authority outside of themselves, and they're living with and engaging a segment of the culture who sees themselves as the authority, a collision is inevitable. And that's what we're seeing play out now in small ways. And I might add, they may seem large, but they're still, in my opinion, seedling um, size. They're still small compared to what will be in another generation or two if something doesn't change. Right now, I think the perception is that we can live with each other in this way, but I don't know if that's possible because what, what we're seeing is that those with 
um, the perception that they're in the authority, that they have the inherent authority, it, it won't be a matter of tolerance. They're going to want to be celebrated. And, and, and unless you begin to celebrate what they do, then they're going to punish you for not celebrating what they do. And that's where the persecution will become more intense and it will cost you to follow Jesus and be known as a Christian as you hold and you are in allegiance to an absolute authority outside of yourselves. As that comes into greater and more intense conflict with those who see themselves as the authority, they won't tolerate you. They'll punish you for not tolerating them. That's not happened yet a whole lot, but it will happen more. And that's why I say, Unless something changes, we will see an intensifying of persecution even within the borders of America. And who knows what our grandchildren or grandchildren's children will experience if something doesn't change in regards to how they may actually suffer for righteousness' sake. And we have to impress upon them the need to hold firm, stand true, be loyal to the gospel, Stay under the absolute authority of God because when they are mistreated, unjustly treated, persecuted, when they're ridiculed and reproached, the Bible says in 1 Peter 4.14, we read it Sunday, that they are actually blessed. And though I know we in our own generation know that and believe that and would agree that that's the case for us when it happens, it just doesn't happen much. But it will be occurring more if something doesn't change, and I'm encouraging you, I'm pastorally pleading with our listeners, prepare your children and grandchildren and grandchildren's children to the best you can to hold the line, to firmly hold to the faithful word, to gladly and humbly submit to God's authority, even when it costs. Because that's when Jesus says, we're blessed. Allow me just a few more minutes to extrapolate some more about this subject or this topic and help us think about how to prepare our kids, our kids' kids, um, and just how to continue generation after generation um, raising up disciples who are in allegiance to an absolute authority, i.e. God, who's outside of themselves. They're not the authority God is. How do we go about that? Well, here's one of the ways that I think will help us in this culture currently, um, and that is this. Continue to help your children um, understand the difference between what's real and what's mythical. Now, you may find this to be an odd suggestion, but here's why I say this to you. It's because we are discovering, we're finding that in our current political climate, and I could even use the words in our current cultural climate, we are not seeing debates, we're not seeing conversations in the arena of ideas around various realities. Even if it's a reality you don't agree with, if it's a reality, you can then prove its inherent worth, um, you know, whether it works or doesn't work in real life based on consequences and results, you can measure those things because they are at least are real. For instance, 
the, the uh, debate between a conservative approach, let's say to economics, or a liberal approach to economics, a conservative approach um, to the flourishing of a, of a civilization or a liberal approach to the flourishing of a civilization. You can look at the birth rate factors among those with conservative values and those with liberal values and you can measure these things you can judge them and you can then uh in our situation you can then vote based on you know where are the results that are being produced that help a society flourish those are realities and again it might be moderate conservative liberal uh you know marxist christian atheist you may have a number of frameworks that actually are real in one sense because they have a, a scientific approach or process, and you can measure it, and at the end of the day, you can see, oh, here's how this worked, so we won't do this, we will do this. We will not vote that way, we will vote that way because of results. It's reality versus reality. It's the, it's the conversation, the debate about, the, about ideas in an arena that can be measured. Metrics begin to matter hard results. And, and that's a good thing because it's how we um, see progress and how we delineate and di differentiate between good ideas and bad ideas. But here's what we're finding more of. We're finding that more and more what's being debated is not two realities. What's now being debated is a reality versus a, a myth. In other words, Things are, and watch my words here, things are less political. And the word political there is not meant to be bad. It's just the exchange of ideas, approaches, or methods in a, in a given civilization to see which one would help flourish more. But we're seeing less debates that are political and more debates that are mythical. And it's impossible to judge and to differentiate and to determine what really works when it's mythical. Again, let me just revisit things that are mythical, but that we're being told are real. For instance, a man becoming a woman. That's actually a mythical concept. It's not even a scientific or biological possibility. Can a man pretend to be a woman? Sure. And can a man have surgery to the degree that he may even at times appear to be a woman or have the, uh, the look of a woman? Could he take uh, certain chemicals and could he ingest certain things that reduce the growth of certain hormones and, and give him certain other hormones that make him appear to be a woman? Yes, but is a man able to become a woman? No, that is a myth, but our culture is saying it's a reality. The same thing is true in marriage. Men actually can't marry men. It's historically, scripturally impossible. Now, they can legally um, be united in a way that is recognized in a society, but it's actually a myth. Women don't marry women, um, and here's why. Because in a marriage, one of the reasons you have a marriage is procreation. And, and here, here, it takes a man and a woman to have a baby. Men... Uh, don't have babies with men. Women don't have babies with women. And so it is a myth to think of a marriage between two men or two women. 
And so regardless of your issue, what's happening in our culture is that myths are being created because there is this inherent sense that they are the authority. They see themselves as the authority. And so whatever they feel like or wish for or want, they're going to raise up that standard. They're going to call it a reality. But if it's actually a myth, it's, it's almost impossible to debate it. Because what you're arguing against is someone's feelings or wishes or preferences or ideals. And, and, and you know, while I'm on this topic, just understand what I've discovered is that the worst crime you can commit in our culture currently is, to, is a verbal crime to disparage or speak against someone's perception of reality, what they consider to be their authoritative framework for life, their reality. If you speak against that, even if you have science biology, history, scripture, if you have evidence on your side, if you speak against what someone wishes or thinks, then you, you've committed a terrible sin. You've committed a terrible crime according to our culture. And all of this, of course, goes into this whole idea of like it, it's difficult now to engage in, and I'm going to use the word in the proper sense, a political type of conversation about what works best for the flourishing of a society or civilization. It's almost impossible to engage in those kinds of conversation when you're having to engage with the mythical. So even if you're engaging with the political and you don't agree with you know, an, an aspect of someone's politics, at least there are hard results to look at, whether it's immigration, um, you know, economics, welfare, uh, health care. You could take these things and you could see hard results of different approaches and measure them and engage with those ideas. But when it's mythical and stems from someone's feelings and, uh, and personal wishes, and if you uh, speak anything against that, you're suddenly demeaning them and hurting them and offending them, and that's suddenly the worst crime you can commit. You are in a tough spot uh, societally. As a civilization, that's a difficult place to be because suddenly uh, you're, you're uh, untethered from any sense of uh, stability. There's no anchor for what's right or wrong. The word for that is anarchy. And that's what it looks like if there's not some changes, we're headed for an in anarchy. You can bank on this. There will be massive, intense persecution for those who hold to an absolute authority. In other words, there will be intensifying persecution, ridicule, reproaching for those who hold to the standards of God's Word in a culture where, where there are no standards except for whatever you want them to be. And so absolute authority cannot exist in a society of anarchy. But that does appear to be where we're headed unless something changes. And so in this Extra Point podcast, I just wanted to peel back the layers of a few things I said Sunday and tell you more about why I said them and to give you this one, um, can I say, strong Todd's tip in regards to your children and grandchildren, and that is to teach them how to reason, persuade, convince, and I'll even use the word argue, to provide an apologetic for, for the reality of their faith because it's going to come into combat with a mythical world that exists more and more. 
whether it's involving the sexes, um, uh, gender issues, marriage, and the whole LGBTQIA range of issues, uh, abortion, the right to life. I mean, think about the myth involved in that back in the 70s that suddenly, um, you know, just because a set of justices decreed that what's in the womb in the first three months is is more expendable than what's in the womb in the middle three months. And for sure, in the last three months, we don't want to mess with that as if, you know, the life is more important in the last three. I mean, it's just so man-made. It's so irrational. And that has been a massive um, leap in the wrong direction, even back in the 70s, to thinking that we were the authority to decide what was life. And, and of course, that's been disguised over the decades. It was called choice. It's now uh, known as reproductive health care. And all it is is, is uh, trying to figure out, you know, that, that culture, trying to figure out when it is okay to kill a baby. And, and how horrendously evil is this? That when God's word has already spoken on this, that he knits us together in our mother's womb from the point of fertilization to the point of natural death. That's the life that should be protected. But now we've got culture speaking against that, trying to argue for abortion at any stage. There are those who've actually said if a child is born alive, then you can decide even after birth what you should do with it within our borders. This is this is uh, almost impossible to, to think that someone would, would have those kinds of words. But you see what's happening? Our culture is pushing back against absolute authority because they want to be the authority. And when that exists, a collision is inevitable. We're seeing the seedlings of it already, and it will only intensify unless something changes. And my admonition to you, my pastoral plea to you, is to prepare your children and grandchildren. One of the ways to do that is by teaching them how to reason and converse and think about reality versus the mythical and to stand then on the reality, namely the reality of the gospel of Jesus Christ first. He was a historical, real person, God in the flesh among us, witnessed by hundreds who actually died a death recorded in history, was buried and then raised again and witnessed by 500 people. His life, death, and resurrection is evidential, supernatural, historical, scriptural. It's life-changing and life-saving. This is reality, Jesus Christ. And to know Him is true life. And so start there, teaching the reality of, of, of the Bible and, and God's revelation of Himself to man and how to use that to argue against, in a correct fashion, the mythical world being created by those who want to see themselves as the authority. There's so much here. And I don't want to continue on and on and repeat myself. I've done that enough already on this podcast. Just know that as I peeled back the layers of this verse now, um, using the culture as kind of the, um, you know, kind of the, the operating room today, just know that though many of us really haven't experientially um, lived this verse out, we, we haven't known much persecution 
unless something changes, even with our, within our own country, that day is coming in which there will be a reproach and a ridicule and an, uh, and an unjust treatment of those who name the name of Christ. And it's my prayer that we'll work with our children and our grandchildren and those coming after them to, to teach them how to think and to live in such a way that they stand strong and remain loyal and live firmly on the truth of God's Word, the absolute authority that we're under as followers of Jesus. My prayer is that you'll live that way, even in a culture that thinks they are the authority. And as the collisions occur, and as the persecutions happen, remember the Bible says you're blessed. So let's count it all joy to be faithful followers of Jesus.